0: Welcome to Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder.
1: On Thursday, October 14th, Robert Durst appeared in court for a hearing related to two issues following Durst's conviction for the murder of Susan Berman. Over the next two episodes, we'll cover both elements of Thursday's proceedings.
0: Next week, we'll present excerpts of the victim impact statements delivered by several members of Susan Berman's family, and we will also examine the sentence rendered upon Durst by Judge Mark Wyndham.
1: On today's episode, we'll focus on the defense team's motion for a new trial. Since the defense issued that motion in writing and made no oral arguments, we will examine the motion's major elements through the prism of the prosecution's response and Judge Wyndham's ruling on that motion.
0: That's coming up.
2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: After thanking the jury once again for their dedication throughout the trial, Judge Wyndham opened the hearing on the motion for a new trial filed by the defense.
2: As for legal cause, if there is legal cause why judgment should not be entered, the defense has filed a motion for a new trial. And uh, I've read and considered that motion. Do you have anything to add to your uh, written No, you do considered Consider it submitted. Very well. And nevertheless, I'll allow you to respond if the people have an argument. Mr. Lewin, do the people wish to respond to the new trial motion?
3: Yes, we do, Your Honor. Thank you.
1: Deputy DA John Lewin then proceeded to address the arguments made in the defense team's motion.
3: The defense indicated in uh, Section A, the verdict was contrary to the evidence. They said, quote, specifically, there was insufficient evidence to establish that Mr. Durst committed first-degree murder and that he shot and killed Susan Berman with a firearm. Obviously, an array of direct and circumstantial evidence was presented, including numerous confessions, the cadaver note, and the admission that that was a note that only the killer could have written. Defense says at trial, there was no forensic evidence to support that Mr. Durst allegedly killed Kathy Durst or that he killed Susan Berman. First of all, forensic evidence is not required, but obviously, what forensic evidence would we have for Kathy Durst?
2: You can slow down a bit, sure. For
3: what forensic evidence would we have for Kathy Durst? He got rid of her body. For Susan Berman, he shot her from behind and has admitted finding her body allegedly. Hours after she was killed, yet with no rigor mortis at all, and when she was cold. So the fact that there is no forensic evidence uh, is really a red herring and an irrelevancy. He says, quote, moreover, it is respectfully submitted that there was insufficient evidence at trial to establish that Mr. Durst called Susan Berman to coordinate a stage call at Kathy's Medical School and Dean Cooper. Well, Miss Susan Berman told no less than six people who testified, plus Mr. Durst admitted on cross-examination. He was aware of two other people that she had told years earlier about this same evidence. In addition, the fact that there was no call, we know that Mr. Durst, by his own admission, was using payphones, and he also could have certainly contacted Susan Berman personally. So this is, again, another red herring. They say, quote, specifically, during the trial, Detective... Joe Becerra testified and then they have a bunch of citations to his testimony which are either misrepresented or completely misplaced. I'm not going to go through uh, even close to all that they listed. I will go through just a couple so that the revealing court is aware of the flavor of what exactly they have alleged. Uh, They say at page 87 and 88 they cite the transcript. Furthermore, Detective Becerra testified that he found no evidence supporting that Kathy Durst died in a South Salem house or that Susan Berman helped provide an alibi for Mr. Mr. Durst. So when they say he found no evidence, what does that even mean? The evidence that was presented clearly demonstrated that Mr. Durst was responsible for Kathy's death. Whether that death was murder, whether it was manslaughter, whether it was even accident does not matter, and this is a misplaced citation. He says again in his motion, Detective Becerra further testified that he had not even reached out to Susan Berman to interview her, nor to any other law enforcement prior to her death. However, whether he called her is actually irrelevant because Susan Berman told Mr. Durst, which he admitted in prior interviews and on the stand, that Susan Berman had told him she'd been contacted by authorities and was going to speak to them. That is what signed her death warrant, and that's why he killed her. Uh, They say, furthermore, the prosecution presented no evidence at trial which connected any weapon used in the murder of Susan Berman to Mr. Durst. Specifically, the alleged murder weapon was never recovered. Mr. Durst was never found to possess the alleged murder weapon, and the shell casing found in Ms. Berman's house did not match any other casing in the police system or any of Mr. Durst's firearms. Well, the evidence is very simple. Mr. Durst got rid of the murder weapon, the same thing that he attempted to do in Galveston, and the only reason they recovered it was because they got to the house because Mr. Durst was sloppy, and they located the gun in the trash. Uh, They go on to say that, quote, And again, as this honorable court will recall, there was no forensic evidence at trial which established that Mr. Durst shot and killed Susan Berman. One, forensic evidence is not required. Two, what forensic evidence would you expect to get when you come up behind somebody and execute them in the back of the head when there is no struggle? In addition, despite the defense arguments that there was no evidence uh, of Mr. Durst and that, quote, no evidence is evidence, unquote, The problem is that Mr. Durst has admitted he was in the house. So the fact that we have no evidence that he was in the house certainly demonstrates that you cannot believe in any way, shape, or form that the killer, even if somehow they were not Mr. Durst, would have left any evidence in this scenario. The evidence also established, they continue, that Ms. Berman made up stories for attention, had enemies, and there may have been situations where she would open the door for a stranger. See testimony of Mel Kaufman. Um, There was no evidence as to why Susan Berman would make up a story that her best friend had killed his wife. There's a lot of reasons why she would lie to protect him. None presented why she would make it up. In addition, nobody testified that they believed that Susan Berman, late at night or early in the morning, would open the door to a stranger. And if you look at the clothing she was in, it appears that she was in her nightclothing, that she would, had already changed her bed or had not changed back into regular clothes uh, the next day and was killed when she was in an extremely vulnerable position. They again say that rather than relying on forensic evidence at trial, the prosecution largely relied on witnesses who provided statements to law enforcement many years after Susan Bergman's death. Again, what forensic evidence would you expect to have especially when Mr. Durst now admits that he was there and found the body, and the idea that they relied on statements of individuals that occurred many years later, Mr. Durst himself contradicted his own lawyer's theory, the theories of his expert witness, Dr. Loftus, by saying that the witnesses were not lying, they were not mistaken, that Susan had originally lied. They say, additionally, as respectively submitted, that the testimony of Mr. Durst did not establish that he shot and killed Susan Byrne. How exactly say other than a straight confession that he had done it, how exactly could his testimony have, quote, established that he, saw, that he shot Susan? What his testimony did was completely impeach him regarding every significant <clears throat> issue in the case. They say, in conjunction with the cadaver note and his testimony, the evidence at trial only establishes mere presence at the scene after he located Miss Burton's body. So his quote, mere presence, which he denied for 20 years, is incredibly incriminating, especially considering the absurdity of his statements, the fact that he wrote the cadaver note, and the fact that he has repeatedly said only the killer could have written it. Finally, he says that it should be noted there was no evidence down on Ms. Berman's computer which suggested that she was extorting Mr. Durst or that she helped cover up anything related to Kathy Durst. Well, Mr. Durst himself, The court remembers when we were discussing the November 5th letter. Mr. Durst himself, upon cross-examination, said, of course she's asking me for money. Anybody reading this would know that. Susie Berman was an intelligent woman. Um, There's not an issue that she was blackmailing Mr. Durst. There's an issue that she was in a position of power. She had a secret. She was asking Mr. Durst for money. And at a point in time, he either got too tired of paying her or more likely was concerned that even if he did pay her she would end up telling what she knew something that he had she had been doing unbeknownst to him for the last 20 years section b says the court erred in deciding questions of law the court erred in not granting a mistrial due to the extended delay in the trial between march 2020 and may 2021. they say the court erred in permitting the prosecution to introduce evidence related to the morris black case including admitting the numerous photographs of the severed body parts of Morris Black. This has been a constant refrain from the defense. It ignores all the reasons the court has previously outlined as to why the evidence was submitted to trial. It would have been impossible for the court to have separated out the Morris Black killing from the other evidence in the case. And when Mr. Durst, when his alibi was, I found the body and I just panicked. Just that statement in itself, which is the identical defense he used in Galveston, would have made that evidence admissible. The court made a very proper record. I won't continue. The court erred in not allowing Mr. Durst to introduce evidence of sightings of Kathy Durst in New York City, including in relation to Eddie Lopez. Now, this is an extremely important point that I want to make sure is addressed once and for all. This argument is not just inaccurate, it's disingenuous. As we have previously related, we repeatedly approached the defense for years, years, offering to stipulate to the hearsay statements of Eddie Lopez, providing that all of the hearsay statements that he had given would be admitted. So we said, if you want to bring in the statements Eddie Lopez made, no problem, but you don't get to choose which ones you put in. They knew that Eddie Lopez would be thoroughly impeached if all the evidence came in, so they made a tactical decision not to do it. Now, the problem was is that much of the impeachment related to witnesses who were outside the country. I extended that deadline, as the court is aware, two years. I lodged two different emails with the court. I talked to every member of their team, collectively and individually, regarding this issue for five years. They made their decision, and the court remembers it was not until the trials had all restarted that they had a change of mind, and now they want—they no longer we we had no longer had access to these witnesses who were out of the country, and they decided they wanted to present this evidence. They said that the court erred in permitting the prosecution to introduce evidence related to the interrogation in New Orleans after Mr. Durst was arrested. As the court's aware, this was an especially um, upsetting objection to me, because they didn't just object to it. They said that I committed prosecutorial misconduct, that I was unethical, even though the law was very clear from the start. And I told them at the beginning, if you have legal authority, use it. If you're just going to get out there and try to say I'm unethical and that my office was improper, that's really not dealing fairly. They had no authority to support it, the court, uh, as was expected despite all the relitigation, properly let that statement in. The court aired in uh, prohibiting Mr. Durst from presenting third party culpability evidence. Now at the time they filed their motion, which was litigated on December 2nd, 2019, their position was that Bob Durst had never been in the House. They stated, quote, The evidence against Mr. Durst does not contain any forensic proof that he was at the victim's residence. It contains no eyewitness accounts of the defendant being seen there or his car being seen there. It contains nothing which indicates the defendant was at the victim's house at the time of the murder. Three weeks later, as the court's aware, they changed their position and stipulated that in fact, no, he was in the house and he found her body. They basically sought to present the kitchen sink of third party culpability defenses. Arguing several different mutually exclusive theories, including but not limited to, Niall Brenner, her agent, did it. She was killed by the mob. She was killed by her 90-year-old landlord. I could go on, but it's pretty clear. Uh, The court aired in showing the, the jury the movie, All Good Things and the jinx. That was their quote. The jury was never shown the jinx. We've been in this court for six years, and the defense puts in their new trial motion, they aired showing the jinx. It never happened. All good things came in because it was one giant adoptive admission by Mr. Durst. The court was also very clear in explaining to the jury what the limits of that use of the evidence were. The court erred in applying the journalist shield for Andrew Jarecki and has hit the ground running. Well, we litigated this repeatedly, and then in the end, the defense stipulated they had a chance to call Mr. Jarecki and decided they wanted to stipulate, which they did. Finally, the court erred in denying Mr. Durr's pretrial request to exclude handwriting evidence. Under what legal authority, Your Honor, could the court have suppressed the handwriting evidence, which is specifically admissible pursuant to evidence code section 1417 and 1418. In addition, he stipulated that he wrote the cadaver note. So I'm trying to understand this. So is the, is the argument, Your Honor, if you wouldn't have let in this relevant admissible evidence, then my client wouldn't have admitted he wrote it. He could have lied about it and maybe got away with it. So that is a summation of some of the areas. Again, Your Honor, there's not one even tiny ground for the grantee of a mistrial. And with that, your honor would submit. It. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve
1: today.
0: Judge Wyndham then gave the defense an opportunity to respond orally.
2: Submitted. We, we submitted it, and Mr. Rowan just repeated all our arguments, so I'm glad we submitted it, so you didn't have to listen to it twice. It's up to you, Your Honor. Oh, all right, thank you. He said the court erred so many times, I started feeling self-conscious.
3: Well, it wasn't me. It was I'm just repeating the motion. I mean, like, you didn't
2: have to that part. They've said worse in, about in me. In response to that, Your Honor, the court knows that the <laughs> proceedings lasted five years. Lawyers litigate. There are always differences of opinion. That's what this motion is about, and that's what the appeal will be about. So we do have issue with things that occurred, the court did give us the opportunity to litigate all of them, and we just have a difference of opinion on the legal conclusion that the court reached. Thank you.
1: After the defense declined the chance to respond verbally to the prosecution, Judge Wyndham issued his ruling on the motion. In this opinion, Judge Wyndham offered us as comprehensive an overview as he ever has into how he perceived the facts and evidence in this case.
2: All right. As to the sufficiency of evidence, Mr. Durris confessed to the crime and the special circumstance of witness killing to Nick Chabin. The crime scene evidence provides the minimum corroboration a confession requires. This is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. The logical inferences from the crime scene itself prove lying in wait and use of a firearm beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Durst's statement that only the killer could have written the cadaver note, which obviously is true, and then his admission that he wrote that note proves his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt a second way. His bathroom confession to three killings on a nationwide broadcast is a confession he cannot and did not explain. That proves his guilt in a third independent way. Over the course of four months, the people presented voluminous circumstantial evidence which proves guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, independent of the defendant's statements. The defendant's testimony was profoundly incredible and incriminating, but his explanation of some of his previous incriminating statements was even more incriminating, that he was trying to get a plea bargain, which is another admission of guilt. There's no other reason for Mr. Durst to seek a plea bargain. This is the fifth way the case is proved, beyond a reasonable doubt. There is sufficient evidence, indeed, overwhelming evidence of guilt. As to the 15 alleged legal errors, I reviewed the rulings, and I remain confident that each of them is correct, as I previously explained at great length. I will briefly reiterate, first, the procedural claim about the pandemic adjournment. Good cause was shown, prejudice was not. Second, admission of Morris Black evidence, including photos of Mr. Black after Mr. Durst had dismembered him. This was relevant under 1101 of the Evidence Code and more probative than prejudicial. The third claim, Kathy's abortion. This is evidence of the decline of the relationship, leading to domestic violence, and resulting ultimately in Mr. Durst's motive to kill her. It's more probative than prejudicial. Fourth, the Peter Schwartz assault, that was relevant because it triggered the argument leading to her killing. It's a form of domestic violence, in under 1101B, it's more probative than prejudicial. Fifth, the excluded supposed sightings of Kathy Durst. That's unreliable hearsay with no exception. Indeed, I would say fraudulent. But the jury heard about supposed sightings from witness Doug Oliver, and that raised no reasonable doubt. Six domestic violence against Kathy, clearly admissible under 1101B and highly probative. Seven. The threat to Douglas Durst was admitted as circumstantial evidence because of Robert Durst's written statement of identical intent toward Kathy. Eight, the New Orleans interrogation. The defendant knowingly and intelligently waived his Fifth Amendment rights and had not yet been charged, so the Sixth Amendment did not attach. Nine, search of the New Orleans hotel room. This was carefully litigated. Nobody violated his rights. 10th, third party culpability evidence. No one else was connected to the crime by this evidence. It's therefore not admissible under California law. 11, I'm going to address that one separately. 12 all good things contained powerful adoptive admissions and was presented with two Very clear and firm, contemporaneous limiting instructions, and a third warning concurrent with the final instructions. The jinx was not shown to the jury, so that claim is incorrect. Thirteen, applying the journalist's shield to Mr. Jarecki. This was a pretrial discovery issue. that trial report did not limit cross-examination, agreeing with the defense position. The point was moot because the people did not call him in rebuttal. 14, ruling that Mr. Jarecki was a journalist and not a law enforcement agent was in the context of a discovery motion. It's highly speculative that he possessed anything the defense did not know about or that he possessed anything remotely exculpatory. 15, admission of handwriting evidence. The court followed Sargon versus Regents of the University of Southern California in admitting the evidence and allowed the defense every opportunity to refute the handwriting evidence at trial. But the defense stipulated that it could be admitted. Ultimately, the jury is authorized by the evidence code to make their own comparison. So this really is a non-issue. Even if these claims were valid, and evidence was wrongly admitted. It would be harmless given the confession of McShaven and the bathroom confession, which are proof independent from any of the contested evidentiary issues. As for exclusion of defense evidence, this evidence was incompetent as proof, speculative at best, and not worthy of belief, given that Mr. Durst repeatedly admitted the killings. As to the procedural issue, that's the 11th claim, not recusing Mr. Lewin. And the circumstances fell well short of a legal basis for recusal. But even if this ruling were incorrect, and Mr. Lewin's presentation of his own investigation somehow tainted Mr. Chabin's testimony or the New Orleans interrogation of the defendant, the televised bathroom confession is completely independent from Mr. Lewin's investigative actions and establishes guilt of the charged crime as well as the killing of Kathy Durst, which supplies the only plausible motive for Susan Berman's murder, which corroborates evidence of witness killing that predates Mr. Lewin's participation. The manner of the killing establishes lying in wait, regardless of anything Mr. Lewin could possibly have affected by his participation in the investigation. Mr. Lewin's presentation of the evidence was unusual, indeed extraordinary. Sometimes in taped interviews, he would state personal beliefs, which could have been considered vouching, but I instructed the jury that the statements of attorneys are not evidence. Their questions are not evidence, only the answers are evidence. Moreover, whenever given the opportunity, I struck such statements. For example, in the New Orleans interrogation of Mr. Durst, but I did not strike such statements when the defense stipulated to their admission, in any event, not only is this argument waived by the stipulations, but it's also cured by the instructions I gave and harmless due to the overwhelming evidence. It's unaffected by these concerns. And it's not vouching. Mr. Lewin's preparation and presentation were unique and unprecedented, but always lawful and ethical and in some commendable. The motion for a new trial is denied.
1: At that point, Judge Wyndham invited members of Susan Berman's family to deliver their victim impact statements. We will cover those statements and Judge Wyndham's sentencing on our next episode.
0: Thank you again for listening, and we hope you will join us next time on Jury Duty The Trial of Robert Durst.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of season two of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from season one. And head over to crimestory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written and edited by yours truly, Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Alexis Notabartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.